Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hello and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, your podcast about stuff. Today, obviously, we're going to be talking about the 1995 film Hackers, starring Angelina Jolie. There might be other characters, but I don't see why anyone would notice or care. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. Uh, actually, I'm not your host, I'm my host. I'm my own host. I'm Margaret Kiljoy. And with me today is my guest, Lori Penny. Hi, Lori. How are you? Hello. I'm all right. Pretty late here in London, but it's nice to be in the podcast. Yeah. So, Lori, how would you describe yourself if I was too lazy to have written a bio? Well, I'm a writer and I'm a screen I'm a screenwriter and a journalist and an essayist and various other things that all mean I'm a writer who, had a, who has a, a theft. Can I do that again? Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, sorry, Ian. So, um, I'm a writer, I'm a journalist, a screenwriter, an author, an essayist. And various other things that just mean I know a lot of different words for writer. Um, but it sounds more professional if you list them that way. And um, I've been writing on writing on TV shows uh, most recently, but I've also done a lot of um, column and journalist work in the US and the UK and um, uh, write a lot about protest and uh, and about politics and philosophy and, and gender. And uh, But my, uh, uh, my fiction work tends to be... Um, that plus a whole lot of spoopy, nerdy, intricate, haunty, haunty stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. g- general goblin logic. There's a general goblin logic underlying most of my professional work. I would Excellent. say. Hell yeah! Now, since you've said that you you write for television, I am assuming that you are friends with George Clooney. That's that's just my head canon now. Definitely, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. We hang out. Mm-hmm. Who I call Clooney. And I sort of know who is. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's the guy from ER. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. That's the place that you go and give a fake name and social security number to. That's right. That's right. That's right. He also he's big, the guy you big, give your name guy. to. A lot of pet mm. pigs. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, you know who else had pet pigs? I, that's exactly why I brought it up. He and Jessica right. Baker might have gotten along. Ah, uh, so Margaret. Um, mm-hmm. Hi. Uh, Hello. You know, 
I have uh, I have carried out a vicious coup against Sophie Lichterman, your normal producer. Uh, my uh, my troops are inside the palace. Uh, we have taken <laughs> the major railway stations uh, and and the broadcasting towers. Um, and so, you know, I I, I wanted to suggest a, a mm -hmm. new name for your podcast. Uh -huh. People who did coup stuff. Cause, cause interesting. Interesting. You get uh -huh. it. You get the joke. Yeah, because you you did a coup. I actually just thought yeah. you were Sophie with a cold. No, no, uh, a lot of people say that. Um, and it makes much more sense when it's written down. It does. As it all does. the best jokes do. Yeah. That, yeah. that was my entire preparation for today, Laurie. Was was writing two people who did coup stuff, nodding and satisfaction, and then going to play video games. That that's, that's well, that is that. that is very coup. Mm -hmm. And that is actually all that anyone needs to do to make it on this show is make one clever joke like the guest today who. No, they actually did more than that. Okay, so <laughs> I will continue as if nothing had happened and Sophie was still our producer because clearly Sophie will return and free wow. us from wow. this tyrannical... Okay, so Ian is our audio engineer. <laughs> I like saying hi, hi Ian. to Ian, even though Ian can't say back. So yeah, hi, Ian. Hello. Our theme music was written for us by Unwoman. So, Lori... Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I quite fan. like it. Laura, have you ever heard of World War II? Mm, uh, yes, slightly. I think I saw a film about it once. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. America, we call it dub dub dose, but but similar. You know, yeah, similar yeah, basic obviously. Story. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to translate things into British yeah. English. It's so kind, it's kind of like you've right, got yeah. the British office and the U.S. office. There's some differences, but you know, similar basic. Yeah, track. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's more optimistic, but um, but, but slightly. <laughs> I don't know. No, actually, you know what? I, I objected that comparison because that's probably the one show where the American version is better. Yeah, but I mean, in the American version of World War II, uh, only Tom Hanks dies, <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly. So, yeah, in the in the regular version, a lot more people die. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, true. Boy, the regular version was nasty. <laughs> so, God. There is this war. It's called World War II. It's the lesser-known <laughs> sequel of the Great War. And one thing that happened in this war is that France got got by Germany in some sort of mm -hmm. takeover, much like what Robert has done to us here. Uh, this is a good comparison. Exactly with no like problems. No problematic. I can see nothing that could possibly go wrong there. Continue. No. no. Some people tried to stop that takeover and Ooh, then helped wait. retake Europe. It's true. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, Robert. I'm sorry to say this. Some people tried to retake and successfully retook Europe from fascism. Mm -hmm. Some of those people were spies. Have you ever heard of Josephine Baker? Yes. Uh, she was a dancer and um, she was uh, in, in Paris in the 20s and 30s, was it? Mm -hmm. Yep. I feel like I could know more about Josephine Baker. I've got a friend who named her daughter after Josephine Baker. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Which is why I mugged up on it a little bit. Well, good for you. You're going to learn more about Josephine Baker today. I'm very excited. Um, and Robert, we'll hear about Josephine Baker. Actually, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. This week, we're going to talk about a bisexual black woman from Missouri who got the fuck out of the U.S., became one of the most famous people in the world, then burned her entire fortune to become one of the most effective spies the world has ever seen. And that's oh. Josephine Baker. <laughs> so pretty good person to name your kid after. I, I'm going mm -hmm. 
But I guess that's one of the conclusions we have today. Yeah. Pretty cool kid. Yeah. Her one, the one weird spot is her kids, but we'll get to that, the way she chose to raise her kids. Mm. On June, I like to judge people based on um, people who probably like, it's possible that if Josephine Baker didn't exist, like not the Nazis would have won the war. That's like not outside the realm of possibility. For real? <laughs> um, I, I'm going to ask y'all's opinion about that when we get to okay, some of the crucial okay. parts. All right. Because uh, I feel like y'all's combination of knowledge, um, Robert, knowing an ungodly amount about World War II and you, Lori, knowing about being from England, um, these will relate. <laughs> Well, actually, the thing uh-huh. about World War Two and being British mm-hmm. is that I don't know how much World War Two history um, you all learn in school, but we, I think I learned World War Two history every single year in um, in my education, and um, I think and, and it's funny. British history education, there's quite a lot of it. Most of it is just about British history, but for some reason they teach us World War Two history every single year, but. The other history teaching like mysteriously stops sometime in the mid 1600s and just picks up again in World <laughs> War One. <laughs> honestly, seriously, ask ask any British person who has studied history at school yeah. um, if they learned a line of imperial history. And and I remember being taught like in the kind of post war period that we somehow lost the empire. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was as if like they couldn't we, find it, just like as if it was like you know, just down at the back of the sofa or something. It was yeah. like, and it was never ex- quite. It was never explained how we came to have this empire and losing mm-hmm. it was just from like, oh, you know, oh, terribly sorry, old chap. Was this yours? So here, have it back. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it was mentioned at all, but really, it's it, it's it's very conspicuous, like several century gap. I mean, um, but then just World War II again and again and again, because it's the last time that we can be reasonably sure, and maybe the only time we can be reasonably sure we were the good guys, kind of. Yeah, I mean, the U.S., I, I think we're a little less extreme than that, but, like, there's definitely a huge amount of history, everything up to the revolution, and then <laughs> more or less blow over everything until we get to the Civil War, right? Right. Because <laughs> like, we have two moments of good. The U.S. Yeah. can be like, well, we defeated the Confederacy and we defeated the Nazis. Those yeah. are the only things that we can right. say positively in U.S. history. Yeah. Didn't you, I mean, what, isn't defeating, like, my lot kind of up there with those two or does not count? Yeah, okay, so from, from the U.S.'s I've point of Hamilton, view. I've seen Hamilton and it made me very proud to be an American citizen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not, which I'm not. Yeah. My opinions about the American uh, Revolutionary War is that it's a lateral move from one imperial power to (laughs) another, but that's not a popular take. And yes, it's true that the U.S. educational system believes that that it was positive. (laughs) All right. Sorry, we're off topic already. That is is not how Mel Gibson described it in the movie The Patriot, Margaret, but... um, (laughs) Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's the one where he paints himself blue and grabs a broadsword. <laughs> yeah, uh, more or less. No, yeah. no, that's, that's, what, that's what women want. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, yeah, no, of course. Yeah. So speaking of anti-Semitism, um, <laughs> that'll come up later in the, the thing. Not, actually, not our, not our protagonist. Okay, so on June 3rd, 1906, Frida Josephine McDonald was born in a real poor part of St. Louis, Missouri. Like, a no running water part of town where half the businesses were crime businesses, uh, brothels and other people doing various crime. The other half were factories whose primary production seems to be pollution. 
And her and her three siblings, they're all younger. They all slept on one mattress on the floor in her parents' bedroom. One of her sisters, one of her younger sisters, was graced with the single best name that anyone can have, um, which I'm sure you all already know what is. Here's where you. Mm-mm. Harry? No, Margaret. Oh, best name. right, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sure. yeah. So it's just really important that everyone knows that Josephine is sister named Margaret. So, and her mother, uh, her mother used to say things to her like, I wish you'd never been born. Oh, that's no good. Yeah, she didn't have a good childhood. Like an awful lot of self-made folks and folks from marginalized communities, etc. She played real fast and loose with details about her early life. And a lot is clouded in mystery of her early life because she hated her early life. And then a lot is clouded in history of her war years because she was a spy right. and she didn't talk about this until like, she never talked about it really. She died in 75 or something. She survives the war spoiler. And yeah. And, and this, the details about her, her spying and stuff didn't come out until a couple years ago. One time an interviewer was like, every time you write a memoir, or do an interview, you change your story about your family background. So what is your family background? And her defense of her actions is she, she said, I don't lie. I improve on life. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Love it. Yeah. That's exactly what I say every time I get pulled over by the police. Yeah. Yes. That, and it probably works for you, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's great. That's why you don't have a driver's license. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I I don't need a driver's license because I'm a sovereign citizen traveling on the land, Margaret. Yeah. The constitution is your driver's license. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, we're going to do our best with putting together her, her young history. And by our best, I mean, I will include the stories that I find most interesting. Uh, Which is probably what she would have wanted. It's funny, so. isn't it? Trying to, like, you're trying to put together a history of somebody who probably didn't want her history put together. So it's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. I know. Well, well no the pressure. worst is when they're alive. I, yeah. Right. Her mother was a black woman who washed clothes for a living, who was who had been adopted into a black and, ind- and indigenous family, or was indigenous herself. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty about that lineage. Her father was probably a random white guy, but uh, she has claimed to have a ton of different fathers, like this fancy guy from Spain, or this other black man, or, you know, just like lots of different people she's claimed to be. Uh, her childhood nickname was Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> oh. Yeah, which got shortened to Tumpty. I don't know how. And she worked since she was young as hell in all kinds of different fields. For example, when she was eight, she cleaned and babysat for this rich fuck named Mrs. Kaiser. There's no ominous naming here. <laughs> One time she put too much soap in her boss's laundry, so her white boss burned her hands. Wow. Yeah, yeah, she's oh, not very gosh. nice. She got mad at one at Josephine at one point and started keeping Josephine in the basement with the family dog, who Josephine loved and called three legs for reasons that are probably self-evident. It has to do with the number of legs that the dog had. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Yeah. A little bit more self-evident than Humpty Dumpty. She shared her little bits of food with that dog. She grew very close. She loved animals. This is a lifelong thing for her. Mrs. Kaiser had a white rooster whom Josephine named Tiny Tim. Yeah. And once Tiny Tim was big enough, Mrs. Kaiser made Josephine kill it with scissors. Josephine's like eight. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Well. 
So Josephine yes. cried the whole time and then ran away and never went back to Mrs. Kaiser. The first time she ever made money dancing, she was about eight or so also. And this snake oil salesman came through town selling fake medicine, and he'd use theater to attract a crowd on the street. Uh, this culminated in a dance competition in which young Josephine won, and the prize was a dollar, which is about $25 today. So this was like a fairly big deal. She styled her dancing based on the animals that she loved. Like she would like consciously mimic the dancing, the, the movements of different animals, which later led to really weird shit because she's this black woman dancing for mostly a white audience. And people keep referring to her dances as like animalistic in this like very fetishizing mm. shitty way. Mm, but it's like, yeah, but it's also awkward because she is also consciously styling her dancing on animals. Her favorite animals. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. And so she loves theater since she's really small. Theaters were around even in her neighborhood, including one that would have different like ethnicity nights. Like there was like an Egypt thing, an Egypt themed night and stuff like that. And Josephine wasn't going to those, but they influenced the culture of the part of town she lived in. So one of her friend's older brothers set up a basement theater and charged a penny for attendance. And so she danced in the chorus line and later set up a similar club in her own basement. And then, in 1917, when she was 11, she saw some white people burning a whole lot of black people's stuff in the East St. Louis Massacre, when white pieces of shit murdered between 39 and 150 black people and burned a fuck ton of the houses and left 6,000 people homeless. And this is out of a fairly small black population at the mm -hmm. time. White cops and the National Guard just let it happen. They got told not to shoot the white rioters, and so they just like stepped back, and I, I suspect a lot of them were joining in. And maybe a third of the black people left St. Louis after that. And one of the reasons to bring it up is because it's a dark period of labor history. Because unions have never done anything wrong, right? Unions in the U.S. were often white only, and so owners used that to break the working class. They would import black strike breakers who were desperate for work. So the strikers just decided to attack all the black people moving to the city. So it was actually a union thing that caused all of this. Yeah. And this is one of Josephine's earliest memories. She said about it later. I can still see myself standing on the west bank of the Mississippi, looking over into East St. Louis and watching the glow of the burning Negro homes lighting the sky. We children stood huddled together in bewilderment. Frightened to death with the screams of the Negro families running across this bridge with nothing but what they had on their backs as their worldly belongings. She worked other jobs in addition to watching horrible things happen and, and dancing. Uh, the coolest job from my point of view is that she was a coal thief. Uh, I don't know if either, either of you all have ever had this job, but she ran. This is with, a job a person can have. Yeah, yeah. And certainly in St. Louis at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh she ran with a gang of street kids in St. Louis, and so they'd steal from the coal trains. Josephine would climb up on the trains while they were moving slow and just like climb up to the top of the cars and just start tossing hunks of coal down for them to sell. Oh, yeah. And she would do that until the train started picking up too much speed and she'd jump off. And there's all these like dramatic tellings of this where. Yeah. Yeah. Like what that is, that's like an origin story job. That's like at the start of her <laughs> Indiana Jones movie. Like that's the first scene is her like <laughs> hopping on a train to Jack Cole. And then we like 
cut to her in World it War II. It cuts to some other sort yeah. of train where she's yeah, having exactly. a fight on the roof exactly. of the train with yeah. um, somebody with really improbable like parkour skills who happens yeah. to be a Nazi. And the, yeah. the music's yeah. kind of like, yeah. 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 She's fist fighting a guy with the kind of abs you only get when you're you're putting seven thousand dollars of trend into your butt every month. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and what's so great about that is that that's actually literally what I said to someone while I was reading this. <laughs> is I was like I was like, this yeah. is the first scene. If I filmed if I filmed this, this is the first scene. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the kinds of jobs that she has, right? When she's thirteen, she was a waitress and a street kid. Uh she got I've heard different versions of this, of course. She told different versions. She might have gotten kicked out of her house for ha- by her parents for having too many pets, like filling the family's <laughs> house with like all of the strays and stuff. Um, so she was living in cardboard boxes and picking food from trash cans, and she would make her money busking by dancing on street corners. Soon she joined a busking crew called the Jones Family Band that traveled around the U.S., and she got married at the time. And I cannot find how old this person was, so I'm just... Out of the goodness of my heart, guessing it's another 13-year-old. That is what I wish to believe. Because when she's 13, she gets married for the first time to someone named Willie Wells. But is that legal? I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, that's that's legal still in some states with your parents' approval. I think yeah. maybe it's 14 now, but yeah. like Yeah. And it's the new right-wing thing as well. They're busy calling us groomers. They're actually literally working to get rid of like sell off children. Yeah, right. they're trying to lower the age of yeah. marriage or whatever. So she marries Willie Wells. It's an unhappy marriage, as probably any two 13-year-olds. I'm mm. again, benefit of the doubt here, assuming yeah, it was right, another 13-year-old. Right. When, when you're like slightly young to really handle the com- moral complexities of the original Pokemon games, you probably shouldn't be navigating marriage. I That is a controversial take to Christian nationalists. <laughs> they might not like you anymore, Robert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to lose like 30% of our audience. Yeah. Ugh. Well, don't worry, because when she's 15, she finds another Willie. Oh, she, she divorces this guy, right? And doesn't last a year. Right. But when she's 15, she finds another Willie, Willie Baker. And she's like, mm-hmm. look, I've got this thing where I marry people named Willie. So she marries him. This marriage doesn't last either, but she keeps his name. And it's possible that she's never legally divorced and everything she's doing after this is like various forms of bigamy. Yeah, yeah. But I don't care. So like double divorcee, double divorcee at 15 is kind of a flex in a weird way. Yeah, that's true. This was a lot more common back then too. the whole like people being technically bigamously married because the way that like different states handled the sharing of information meant that it was re- a lot of shit just got like lost in the mail effectively. Yeah, totally. I, I've, been, I've been dealing with this talking, reading about like Vince McMahon's family, but this is like around the same period of time. And okay. his mom had a similar thing where like she was, tr- she had tried to get divorced, but like it didn't go through for years. Not an uncommon story. Yeah, no, that yeah. makes sense. And yeah, she doesn't want to, she actually gets big fights, big fights with her mom, her mom, who's again, not the hero of this story. Because her mom is mm-hmm. like, why don't you just go be good to Willie Baker? Why do you keep running around doing vaudeville and, and making something of yourself or whatever? But if you want to make something for yourself, mm-hmm. probably the way to do it is to buy objects. Uh-huh. That's the only way. Yes. And so this podcast is proudly brought to you by objects. The only thing <laughs> that... Is real according to materialists. 
how, how do I obtain these objects? They sound great. I must bring more of them to my house. Currency. So, yeah. It's the, it's the new trend that's sweeping the world using wow. representations of time and effort, uh, generally in the form of paper or increasingly numbers on a computer that you can then trade for physical objects. Well, I, I, I feel like that would like that increase my overall feeling of alienation in the world mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. sign me up for objects. Yeah. That's what, that's what everyone says about currency. It's the cure for alienation. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, will this, will this conflict, will this conflict with the items? Oh, interesting. Are you saying that it should be objects and items? Yeah, I don't know. Can I have objects and items is what I'm asking. That really depends on the amount of currency you have. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. And the laws <laughs> I, I, I in your region. I need to sell more of my labor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if you, what you really want to do is you want to exploit other people's labor. That's where the real currency That's where is. Where I've been going. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or just buy this stuff. Objects items and stuff mm -hmm. here's some ads hi i'm cindy crawford and i'm the founder of meaningful beauty well i don't know about you but like i never liked being told oh wow you look so good for your age like why even bother saying that why don't you just say you look great at any age every age that's what meaningful beauty is all about we create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. The big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. And we're back. So the ages that Josephine Baker does things don't line up because she's rewriting her life story. So I'm just going to go ahead and use her numbers and things, even though they don't work. When she was 15 or so, she joined the St. Louis Chorus, maybe the St. Louis Chorus to her. I'm not entirely certain. Uh, joined a vaudeville show and she was off. Soon she makes her way up to Harlem and starts working in musicals. Um, she has aforementioned ditched her husband at this point. And sometimes she's presented as being part of the Harlem Renaissance, which is worth, it's a black-led revival of black culture as compared to like just black culture being promoted for a white audience, which is, we'll get to that later. And it was created by a ton of black folks who were fleeing Jim Crow and the Red Summer in 1919 when race riots spread across the country. A bunch of people come up and wind up in Harlem and they're pushing for civil rights and they're doing awesome cultural stuff. There's uh, a lot of it starts and centers around theater and music, 
No more blackface and minstrel shows, but shows that were earnest expressions done by black artists. And there's a there's a poem that I'm not going to read, but I will suggest to people to read called If We Must Die by Claude McKay. That was part of inspiring all of this. And I'm really just mad that this wasn't part of my public school education. And that when we people talk about the Harlem Renaissance, they just talk about it culturally, at least white public education or whatever. So you don't actually look at, at the culture. You just know that it happened. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, it's about plays without the fact that the plays are about like, hey, we should fucking fight for what's ours, you know? Right. The And this poem is basically like, look, if we're going to die anyway, we should fucking fight back. I'm looking it up right now. And so, so this is the Harlem that Josephine Baker shows up into. Or she was never really part of the Harlem Renaissance and went immediately to Broadway. I don't know. Her goal is Broadway. The only way to break into show business from her point of view is Broadway. And since she's 14, I know I just said she's 15, but now she's 14. She's in New York. And she's too young to apply to be a chorus girl. You have to be 16 to be a chorus girl. But she doesn't know that. She just knows she's probably too young. And the show is called Shuffle Along. So she lies and she says she's 15. And they're like, no, sorry, you have to be 16. And they kick her out. So she comes back and she lies again. And she says, I'm 17. And so they put her in when she's 14, probably. She becomes a chorus girl. She gets the job of being on the end of the line, which is like the comedy dancer role who intentionally stumbles and such for comedic effect. So it's kind of like the, it's a pretty good position in the, the chorus line, you know? And she tours with it around the country. Uh, and she's a chorus girl for years. She can't move up beyond that because of racism. But it's still enough that she starts sending money home to her family constantly. And this is going to be a big part of Josephine Baker does not remember, does not forget where she comes from. Even though her family's been terrible to her, she still sends all this money back. Yeah, exactly. And like, mm. it's possible that her relationship with her mother gets better at some point. I, I, I don't know, you know. So France gets really excited about her. Uh, La Revue Negre, an all black club in Paris, was like, Hell yeah, we want you. I don't think it's black owned, to be clear, but um, we want you. Everyone here in France is obsessed with jazz and black culture mm. and we'll pay you seriously good money. They pay her $1,000 a month, which is about $17,000 a month today, which is Whoa. seriously yeah, good money. That is for, good money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the like, it's like kind of messy, right? Because she leaves segregated US to go to France that claims to be anti-racist where they put her in racist tropes constantly. Right. But she cashes in. Yeah. It's also like they're putting her in racist tropes, but everyone else doing those tropes is like having white people do them in blackface. So like, I don't know. You you have to grade on a curve. Yeah. Yeah. An attempt an attempt was made. Yeah. yeah. It's it, it's they're not having Humphrey Bogart do it. So <laughs> it counts as a win. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it possibly saves the world. So when she's 19 in 1925, she moves to Paris. And being celebrated by a racist culture can be good money. France was having a craze. White people were all about jazz and dancing the Charleston. Modern black author Morgan uh, Jerkins put it like this. When she swung on stage in that fiercely swinging banana skirt in 1926, Baker brilliantly manipulated the white male imagination. 
Crossing her eyes, waving her arms, swaying her hips, poking out her backside, she clowned and seduced and subverted stereotypes. By reclaiming her image, she advanced her career in ways unprecedented for a woman of that time. Yeah, because her iconic outfit, as soon as she got there, was a skirt made out of bananas and a tiny bra, if any bra at all, and a large pearl necklace. Hang on, not real bananas. No, they were, they were fake bananas, yeah. That sounds really hard to dance in, but I don't know. It, it, maybe she was just this amazing dancer. I, I love the idea that she was she was clowning still. Yeah, like she'd taken that being the, on the end of the chorus line and made it part of the thing. That is absolutely yeah. That is absolutely what's happening. And her uh, "Danse Sauvage," as I can't pronounce French, is um, at La Revue Negre was a huge hit. She's an overnight sensation. This causes. Thousands of banana skirt dolls to be sold around Europe. Magazines advised white ladies to rub walnut oil onto their skin to darken it. Oh boy. Okay. Uh-huh. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Baker herself cashed in on it, selling Baker's skin. Okay. A skin darkening what? lotion. Hey. Um, well, when, when life gives you weird racists, sell walnut <laughs> skin lotion. You know? Like, yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Wow. And it's like at a time when everyone else, you know, people are trying to sell the opposite. People are trying to sell skin lightening, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also sells Baker Fix, which is a hair pomade. She had that signature 20s slick down hair look like Betty Boop. The little wave at the front. Mm-hmm. And she would do the little curl. Um, yeah, you, you weren't hot back then unless your hair could ignite your entire body like a candle with a single spark gone on it. Yeah, exactly. If you're, you're covered in walnut oil. Yeah. 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 <laughs> How burnable you'll are go, you? <laughs> it'll go up in something very, very deliciously smelly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. This is why this is why we don't really talk about spontaneous human combustion when it was like a huge, you know, conspiracy theory back then. It's because everyone was drenched in oil and chain smoking at all times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what it must be witchcraft. Yeah, it must, yeah. It must be witches. Be <laughs> I'm gonna go pour gasoline on my head and fall asleep with three cigars. <laughs> it's part of the selling point is that everyone hated their lives anyway. <laughs> she also sold banana things like shoes and stuff. Banana shoes. Yeah, I think so. I know she sold banana things and shoes. It might be that she sold these might be separate objects. (laughs) I'm not entirely certain. And so she becomes fuck off famous and rich and kind of an inverse uh, Coco Chanel. I'm just going to say who became fuck off rich and picked the opposite side of the upcoming war. She becomes fuck off famous. She buys a fucking mansion. Sorry, a chateau. This is France. It has 24 rooms and she does classic rich bitch shit. Like she gets a cheetah, which she names Chiquita. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's mm-hmm. dope. Mm-hmm. Who has a diamond collar. I hear they're the best big cats to have as pets. I mean, you shouldn't have any big cats as a pet, but if you, a pet, but if you are going to, they're like the most anxious and the most receptive to human affection. Okay. Oh. Okay. Noted for future self. I mean, um, mm-hmm. The, the the most anxious, possibly illegal exotic pet you can buy. I'm really glad I, can, I, I know this now. Yeah. <laughs> I like that she's, oh, she's, she's, she's filling her house with too many animals and now nobody can stop her. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, it's going this. to she get just, even more. She just wants, the, oh, wait, 
No, it's good. There's more of them? Oh, there's more animals. So, I think she basically invents the, like, rich motherfucker gets a cheetah trope, but I'm not sure. Mike Tyson, like, just... (laughs) Just walking Uh, in her shadow. Exactly. Like all of us. Yeah. I want to hear the other animals. We'll get to them. Because I don't have their names in front of me at this point in the script. They're further in the script. So that's why we're going to get to them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Oh, hang on. Until it's time. I'm just envisioning a version of Homeward Bound now. This is the the movie I want to write, where Josephine Baker's off being a spy or whatever, and then Chiquita the Cheetah and various other of Josephine Baker's amazing animals have to go on some kind of Homeward Bound trip across Nazi Germany. I, I think this could work. I'm pretty into this. Um, yeah. Robert, do you think we can get uh, greenlit Netflix? Uh, yeah, I'll, 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 uh, I'll work on that in the background while, while okay. y'all are cool. uh, by which I mean I'm going to uh, email my guy yeah. in uh, Central Africa and see if I can smuggle some cheetahs in this fucking country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I actually wasn't thinking live action, but but this is a strong a strong pitch. I love it. Too bad. Too bad. DHL is is delivering my cheetahs tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> And we got you a couple too, Laurie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah! They can't, you, you can't get, get you, you can't get, a, get them in now because of Brexit. You get a shipping oh, break if you order a six pack. Yeah. I'll I'll check one when I fly to the UK next. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> so she gets Chiquita in 1930 from an exotic animal breeder, and it's sort of on the advice of her PR folks. I think this is her idea, but they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, do it," because this puts her in the media even more. She goes to the opera and brings her cheetah and he gets loose and he gets into the orchestra pit and he causes havoc. He doesn't eat anybody. And this causes international headlines as she disrupts the orchestra at the opera. And this is good for her because it's international headlines. It's just more fame. Soon she has her own club. uh, Chez Josephine. I really can't pronounce French. It's really bad. House of Josephine. Where she's she Josephine. Yeah, you exactly. Gotta, Thank you. You yeah. sound like a giant asshole. Yeah. Okay. I'll just I'll just uh, highlight the stuff I need written uh, read out in French in the script for you. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, she is the star attraction at her own club. This makes sense. Some of the other pets that yep. were there and included in the act, and don't worry, this is not all of her pets, but some of them are Toot Toot the goat. Oh yes, great goat name. And Albert the pig, or possibly Albert the pig, depending on how French the pig is. Hmm, I would say Albert's a good pig name, but Albert, not. So let's go with Albert. There might be a bear. Hmm? Yeah, Albert the bear would be, yeah. Albert's a great name for a bear. Yeah. Because it reminds me of Owlbears, one of my favorite D&D monsters. Yeah, exactly. She actually has a pet Owlbear. Mm, Oh, awesome. Yeah, she stole it from a Nazi breeding program. Wow! Yeah, brave to keep a CR three pet in your uh, in your in your house. Oh, she's she can handle up to CR twelve at least at this point. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. <laughs> so she wasn't just the most famous Black American woman in France. She's the most famous American in France, and one of the most famous Americans in Europe. At this point, she's also like she's at least called the most photographed woman in the world. And she becomes the first black woman to star in a movie. In 1927, she stars in Siren of the Tropics. 
which is uh, that sounds super unproblematic. It's completely unproblematic. It's let me let me just put this past you. This is actually I think this would fly really well today. It's about a oh fictional boy. colony that's vaguely Polynesian. She's cast as an oh indigenous God. woman who falls in love with a French man, moves to France only to be heartbroken by the fact that he's already engaged. So she goes out and is happier as a music hall performer anyway. Um. Not as bad as I was expecting. I Fair still enough. preferred the one where it's the, where where the, where the cheetah and the goat and the pig go on a journey across Europe and like discover the true meaning of friendship. But no, like, no, I agree. Um, the positive reviews of it were all include the racist things like "Wow, she moves like a wild animal" or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. This increases her fame. She w- goes on to star in Zazao in 1934 as an, and then. I think once again, she like isn't allowed to love the white guy she's in love with as like the central part of it. Then she's Princess Tam Tam, in which she's a Tunisian woman who winds up in Paris. Um, basically, there is a trope named after her of primitive to Parisian. However, this last one, Hollywood censors refuse to show it in the US, so it only plays in in select black theaters in the US that are ignoring the Hollywood code or whatever the fuck that hmm. thing is called. She's an astoundingly good performer. She sings opera. She spends a ton of her time driving a fancy car into slums with prepared packages for folks, like food, blankets, clothes, that kind of shit. She just like piles high her her car with all this stuff and shows up and and passes it out to everyone because she never forgets where she's from. She's also a terrible driver, just absolutely (laughs) awful driver. The, The driving school passed her because they wanted to be able to claim that they were the school who taught her. Um, not because they had actually successfully taught her. And so at one point she crashes her car into a, a light post and gets out dazed and signs autographs and then walks away and takes a cab home. <laughs> Were any of the animals in the car? I I hope not. Yeah. None seem to be harmed. There are no animals harmed in the making of the script. She was probably bisexual. She's like famously... She was bisexual. She was sleeping like famously with but right. with other chorus girls, then also other famous, you know, performers and stuff at her time. She also had a lover who was a gay man, and hmm. it's very likely that she was doing high end sex work. But not everywhere, and everyone loved her. And Paris, the reigning star, now in her fifties, was a white woman named Mistinguette, whose name I can't pronounce, whose real name was uh, Jean Bourgeoisie. Uh, or bourgeois, Jean bourgeois. Uh, yeah, Josephine was starting to replace this lady. This lady was also a racist. Right. She'd say things like, "How is I forget her name? That colored girl, my substitute." Uh, that was like basically how she constantly referred to to Josephine. All right. One time at a fancy movie premiere, Mistinget called Josephine an old timey racist racist word, a pickaninny. So Josephine walked over, dug her nails into the woman's arm, and spat in her face. Huh. Yeah. That's good. Legit. Yeah. And she also like is like literally this this older lady now is like just literally being replaced. You know, it's like she'll be the star of something and they'll be like, eh, never mind, and Josephine will come in. Right. And that's good. Cause fuck that lady. Because she's yeah. old and racist. But you know what is never racist? Capitalism. Is it? Right. 
Is, is it items? Items, yeah. Capitalism is not racist <laughs> as long as you have enough money to make not being racist worthwhile. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it makes total sense. We would like you, the listener, to peruse this fine collection of what is it? Items, objects, and stuff. Um, yeah. So, so help. Thingamabobs. Oh, and yeah. thingamabobs. Some whatnot tossed in there, probably. That's a little bit far. I guess we oh. would take we would take whatnot. Okay. Money. That's good to know. I think I know. I think we could take whatnot money. That's okay. okay. All right. Well, stuff, things, whatnot. Yeah. Here you go. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal History. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. And we're back. So there's two more. There's two places that she runs into trouble besides random movie premieres with random racists. I didn't. I don't know if y'all knew this, but there are a couple places in time and geography where instead of individual racists, there's entirely large sy- systems of racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those was Germany. Hmm. I think we learned this in school. Yeah. Nothing gets past me. Yeah. Yeah. So Germany, the only racist country in history. Yeah. Right. Uh, in 1926, she showed up and she was like, whoa, it rules here because it's Weimar Germany and it rules. And she plays a bunch of cabarets or whatever, has a good time. Two years later, she's planning six months in Berlin and doing shows the whole time. And first she shows up in Austria, which is under growing Nazi influence and was met with angry mobs and had to be escorted around by armed guards uh, because she is the fucking living embodiment of not Nazi. She is unashamedly black. She is unashamedly sexual and bisexual. So basically they're like, this is... And she's got a cheater. Yeah. This, I mean, and and that's actually like literally part of it. It's funny because it's like, you look at this like, okay, she's playing up to these like kind of racist tropes, you know, this like Don Savage or whatever. But literally the fact that the French were okay with that was part of why Germany was like, we fucking hate the degenerate French because they're okay with a black woman. 
So, yeah. Yeah, there's a really funny story from uh, kind of the early era of the Third Reich when they held Goebbels, I think, was the one who put it together, this mm -hmm. big exhibition that was... Um, I th the, I, the, the I, degenerate I, art exhibition. Yeah, the de yeah. degenerate art ex exhibition. I actually know the German, but I know I'll pronounce it wrong if I say it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, uh, th so they did this big exhibition that was supposed to be, I think it was contrasted with like, you know, decent, you know, Aryan art. Proper but German art, <laughs> proper Aryan art, which which all looks like Tom of Finland. Yeah. People <laughs> kept hanging out, listening to the jazz and looking at like the degenerate <laughs> art because it was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, and Goebbels uh, definitely knew Josephine Baker by name and multiple times was specifically like, Josephine Baker is the enemy. That's, that's which is a, uh, yeah, it speaks well of you, you know, there's actually yes. a part I didn't put it in the script. At one point, Hitler goes to, oh, fuck, he goes to some country and he goes to like the fanciest hotel and they put him in the fanciest room in the fanciest hotel and there's a giant portrait of Josephine Baker above the bed, and he's angry. He's so angry. Was it there before he arrived? I hope not. Oh my god! I hope it was specific. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I hope whoever did that to him survives. Yes. So there's angry mobs. She has to be escorted around. She goes to Berlin, planning the six-month run of a show. She's stalked and harassed and jeered. People yell, go back to Africa and a lot of other less nice things. Um, Nazi papers are mad that she was like ruining her co-star, this like nice blonde lady. After three weeks, she leaves. She flees. She's like, I can't fucking do this. Um, and she goes back to Paris. But so the Nazis didn't like her. Do you know where else struggled with racism? Only for a brief moment, obviously. It's never had racism before mm -hmm. after this place. Right. Canada? Similar. Um, um, the United States in the 1920s oh, and 30s. really? Yeah. Mexico's Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm aware of Yeah, that. Mexico's Canada. So I'm trying really hard to do the sarcasm here. Yeah, I've been yeah. practicing. No, I appreciate it. How's it doing? Thank you. It's great because actually what you're doing is you're changing the tone of your sarcasm to go from British sarcasm, which goes above the heads of all Americans mm -hmm. and instead trying to do American sarcasm. No, 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 no. It, it, it's, it's because you think that because that, that's just because I'm never doing it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I, I've let you in on a little secret there, which is sometimes like it's uh, British people are not, we just sound like this. It doesn't actually mean we're clever. And you have to know British people for a little bit before you realize this. And then it's just slightly worse for us. And then we go home and come back and try to find some new Americans who haven't yet been in on this trick. That makes a lot of sense. That explains a lot of things. <laughs> so, right. In 1936, she goes back to Broadway and she's hoping for this whole, I mean, she's like one of the most famous people in the fucking world, right? She's a millionaire. She owns a goddamn mansion, sorry, a chateau, like most photographed woman in the world. Like, Clearly, the U.S.'s racism will, like, make some exceptions for Josephine Baker. She can't find a hotel to let her stay in New York City. Whoa. Her Japanese friend's chauffeur from the, from the Japanese embassy, he's afraid of being seen dri driving around a black woman. The New York Times calls her a Negro wench. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> she opens up... Man. She opens up her own club, also called Chez Josephine. Sorry, I should have highlighted that for you, Robert. 
Thank you. But it wasn't really working the same way to a U.S. audience. It just like didn't. The U.S. audience was segregated, essentially. You know, um, mm. and this is really sad. It's just really sad. You got like you're suddenly facing all this stuff, like Germany, and then you come home, and it's even worse. I don't know. It's something about that. Sorry, I'm not being very clever. No, here, no. It's I mean, just, like the um, the having like I don't know. You must. She must have felt like, you know, having been in France for that time, that she finally got away from some stuff. Yeah. Or that things could be all right, but then it was just this one place that was just a little bit better, even though she had to make those. It felt it kind of sounds like in France she got to she got to choose which compromises to make. Yeah, totally. Totally. And the US won't let her make those decisions and then mm-hmm. Germany wants to just murder her. Right. So she's like, all right, fuck you. She leaves. She goes and she becomes a French citizen. She goes back to France. She becomes a French citizen, maybe, depending on the specifics of some bigamy stuff. Uh, but she marries this Jewish sugar magnate whose name is Jean Lyon or Jean Lyon or something. Oh, like from like, like yeah, uh, Lyon is the brand of sugar. Yeah, that, that's the brand of sugar that like we have in the corner shop. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, Lyon's sugar. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's that's what family she marries into. And she doesn't take the name lion, even though everything she does is animal themed, uh, which is like kind of good on her, you know? And apparently he proposed while the two of them were flying in a plane. Oh, sorry. He was flying a plane that she was in uh, because he's a bored rich guy. And so he wanted to learn how to fly. So he went to he goes, flies a plane. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she, uh, he teaches her how to fly. And this is going to come up in really cool ways in World War II. The marriage was always a bit rocky because they were both uncompromising about their own careers. His his Mm -hmm. business and politics, hers is show business. But he teaches her how to fly. And uh, it's possible she never technically divorced Willie Baker, but it's a different country. Who fucking cares? Everyone is obsessed with her. Hemingway spends hours chatting her up and writing her about her. Picasso paints her. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That must have been so cringe. I'm sorry. (laughs) I can just imagine it like being necked constantly by Ennis Hemingway. See, I like to imagine that it's while Picasso's painting her and they're both just like sort of taking turns trying to hit on her. Wow. That's like the the battle of the problematic kings. Like (laughs) the the, the two most problematic men in art history both hitting on you at once. (laughs) Oh, Dali isn't there. Um, oh yeah, yeah Do- I'm gonna Do- say it's, it's Dolly strong isn't competition. There. You're right. Yeah, you're right. They are all retroactively canceled. Yeah. So, the, yeah, this is her life. She she now lives in I think still the same chateau with the Lion family. All of the shit rules. She's amazing. She's doing cool stuff. But that's not what we're here to talk about with her. Uh, we're going to talk about how she was a badass fucking spy who was a crucial part of the machine that ripped apart fascism limb by limb. But. One messy part. In 1935, she vocally supported Mussolini's invasion of Ethiopia. Hmm. Because that's odd. Because he said he was going in there to end slavery. And she was like, sick. I hate right. slavery. Uh, My yeah, well, grandparents, mm-hmm. I think, maybe right. great, but maybe great grandparents, I don't remember which. But don't worry. Not only is she more than make up for this mistake, oddly, it works out against Mussolini that she did so. That she like supported him to begin with. 
And we'll talk about that on Wednesday. That's my cliffhanger. Oh, wow. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Bold. Courageous. All right, Lori, do you have any plugs you want to plug here at the end of the first episode? Um, well, uh, you could uh, could buy any of my more recent books. I've got Bitch Doctrine, I've got Sexual Revolution, and uh, they're available from lots of different bookshops. And although I don't mind if you steal one, that's that, that's fair. I think for this podcast, <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, I don't mind. It's um, you, you don't write books to make money. Come on. Well, no, no. Wait, I shouldn't say that. You should write books to make money, but just in case, I think people should read them anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, and if you want to read my work entirely for free, above board and legitimately, just like search some of my articles on Wired. Or go to a library and don't steal it from the library. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get that. We don't really have those anymore in the UK. We've had 13 years of conservative rule over here. So, you know, oh God. keep forgetting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we don't wow. have health insurance. We're not that yeah, far enough. behind you guys. Yeah, fair enough. The nurses are on strike today. Here. That's good. Oh. Um, Again. Uh, yeah, it's also a bit dangerous, but, you know, they should be on strike. Yeah. Sophie, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, you know, um, the, the, get a pig, get a pet pig, um, uh, steal it from one of those horrible places where they keep thousands of pigs pinned together, uh, above rivers of shit and then take it home and make it your friend. That's what Josephine Baker would do. I think that is what it would do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want to plug that people should plant trees. No, actually the way that people go out and randomly plant trees in large numbers doesn't always actually work. Uh, do good things instead of bad things. Yeah. That's my research how to plant trees in a way that helps and then do that. Yeah, do that. And we will talk to you all on Wednesday. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.